Welcome to the Beyond Devices podcast. This is a special edition of the podcast. It's special because it's the day of Apple's iPhone event in San Francisco. Uh, I'm Jan Dawson. With me, as always, is Aaron Miller. And uh, I'm sitting in the square outside where the event was held. Uh, we're recording this there, so apologies in advance for road noise or other background noise that you might hear on the podcast today. We're just going to do a quick take today, a sort of first initial reaction, and then next week we'll do a deeper dive, more similar to our normal episodes. Um, so hopefully you'll look forward to that episode as well. What we're going to do is just run through briefly the Apple event that happened today in chronological order um, with a view to just reviewing briefly some of the key takeaways uh, from that. Uh, I did have a brief opportunity after the event concluded to go into the hands-on area um, and see the Apple TV interface up close and also see the new iPad Pro, um, the new iPhones and um, to see the new Apple Watch bands uh, under glass for the most part. Um, so we can talk some a little bit about each of those. Um, so let's kick off by starting with the Apple Watch, which is where the event itself started. Aaron, did you have any kind of first thoughts about all of that? Uh, I was surprised with how thorough the predictions seemed to be that we had uh, the new aluminum gold and rose gold uh, colors for the Apple Watch Sport. I was surprised that that never really surfaced in any of the prominent reporting on what was going to happen. Um, and I think it's great. In fact, I like that Apple is willing to introduce new styles or looks sort of mid mid product cycle. And uh, I'm hopeful, you know, and I just think that's going to be fun because I think that Apple sort of set a precedent for a lot of flexibility as far as styles go. And the same is true for the new bands. I think I think they're beautiful. I think those leather ones are going to be crazy expensive. <laughs> Uh, yes, presumably as befits the brand that goes with them. I mean, the Hermes brand is a pretty high-end brand, which right. you know is kind of the point point here. But this is for anybody hoping for some cheaper bands. I think you're gonna have to keep looking on Amazon or whatever for those. Yeah, most likely. But um, but yeah, and they they obviously briefly mentioned WatchOS two, um, which there was no news there as such, other than the date, which I think is September sixteenth, so a week from today. Um, so that's news as well because I, I think that's really going to trigger a whole new wave of apps and it was interesting to me to see Facebook is now doing Facebook Messenger as a watch app you know Facebook's been conspicuously absent from the watch until now right. and I think we're going to see a lot of app developers that have kind of held off on developing something for the Apple Watch until now um, with watchOS 2 coming along and, and the ability to do much more functional responsive apps I think a lot of holdouts will probably come along now and so I'm looking forward to seeing who else ends up being in that group yeah. Any other thoughts on the watch now? Uh, you know, just one other thought. The, the the problem with introducing new colors for the for the watch itself is co coordinating bands. I mean, Apple added a ton of variety with the sport band today, but one of the interesting things about the sport band is the lugs and the posts that uh, tie the band in uh, aren't always going to match the finish, and it seems like a small thing, and it kind of is when you're at that price point. You know, people may not care as much, but uh, the more watch colors they introduce, the more difficulties they're going to have in matching the lugs. And I'm curious. I'm curious if they're just going to not care. And so, like, if I had the aluminum gold, you had like the gold-colored sport watch. You know, my. In fact, I looked online, and the only band that matches that is the blue one that comes with it by default. There's no other bands that have the gold lugs to match. So I'm curious about how big of a deal that's going to be to people, and if Apple's going to add more like variety in terms of the metal connectors on the watch, both the lugs and the post. But it's a small thing, but because Apple's positioning this as a style product, it's curious that those little details aren't all worked out. Right, right. Yeah, no, that is interesting. And it does seem to mostly affect the sport. 
um, right. variety. So, uh, as you say, maybe they won't worry about it quite so much at that end of the market. Um, okay, so that was the watch, and that was what the event kicked off with. The second major sort of part of the event was the I new iPad Pro, this sort of larger screened uh, iPad that's been, you know, reported for a long, long time now. Um, yeah. And along with that, the smart keyboard and the Apple Pencil. Um, and, you know, as I say, not a huge surprise there. We kind of knew it was coming at some point this fall, didn't know if it was going to be today or sometime next month. And it now looks like, for starters, we won't have an October event because there won't be a new iPad to announce there. Um, so uh, that was interesting. But yeah, iPad Pro, interesting sort of positioning because it's still very much an iPad. And I think that's kind of critical to the identity of the device. It's first and foremost, it's still an iPad with all the benefits of the iPad. It's just bigger now. Um, and the pencil and the keyboard are both kind of additional accessories. And I think that's important because A, it'll keep the price point down, at least at a basic level. Um, B, um, it means that people can add whichever of those they want to. If they want to add both of them, they can. If they want to add one or the other based on being, say, a more creative person who sees value in the stylus but not the keyboard, they can do that. If they want to add the keyboard for productivity but don't see the need for the stylus, they can do that. And so I think that's an interesting sort of differentiator against, say, the Surface from Microsoft that's out there in this category already and, and looks on paper a lot like it, even though I think there are some, some important differences. Um, the other thing is, you know, because it is first and foremost an iPad, it works great as a standalone tablet. It's heavier than the iPad Air, obviously, it's quite a bit bigger. It's about the same weight as the original iPad, which you may remember was a little heavy in the hands, if not overly so. Um, but it's really nicely weighted. The weight's really nicely distributed throughout the device. When you actually heft it, it feels good. Um, the keyboard's pretty solid, um, you know, and the way that it clicks into the keyboard's pretty solid too. Um, I didn't get a chance to play with the pencil actually, that's the one part I, that was a little too busy in the demo area to play with, but overall I came away sort of pretty impressed with it and I think there's a whole variety of new use cases, whether it's a family PC, uh, a, a, a computer for a creative person that likes to draw and do artwork, um, a more enterprise sort of productivity centric uh, computing option. I think there are a whole variety of interesting stuff that this can do. What, what was your take, Aaron? You know, it's funny you mentioned it being a family PC because when I think about, I mean, one of the first impressions I had is, that, I mean, they're calling it the iPad Pro, but I picture it being a huge hit in education. I think the bigger screen is actually going to be really appealing for classroom settings just having more space to do things and especially to be able to multitask with meaningful screen size. Um, I won't be surprised if it's a really big hit in education. I expect a lot of my student, college students to be buying it, for example, um, in ways that are much more education related than professional per se. Um, and I think it'll be a really big hit in homes. Um, there's something about the bigger screen that seems more appealing to smaller children. And I don't know why that seems to be the case, but but ironically, it just feels like having something bigger, more substantial on the lap of, you know, a kid, uh, it, it just it seems to fit. And I'm curious how that's going to play out and if that market is going to turn out to be a pretty big one for the iPad Pro. Yeah, no, that's an interesting idea for sure. Yeah, it's, it's something, I guess, little kids, little fingers, but often kind of don't have the fine motor skills either. And so, again, a larger right. device with larger touch targets and that kind of thing. Um, I think the the design of it's really interesting and, you know, the, the sizing. And Phil Schiller kind of made a point about this, that if you turn an iPad Air on its side, it fits within the footprint of the iPad Pro. Um, and so, basically, you have a full-size iPad Air-style app with, you know, another app sitting alongside it. 
Right. Um, so, you know, there's going to be quite a bit of screen real estate here, which is going to be really interesting for those sort of productivity scenarios, especially. Um, but yeah, it was really great. I mean, photographs look fantastic on that screen. It's a very high resolution screen. Um, so the photographs look great on it when I looked at it close up. Some interesting new shortcuts for the keyboard that they have as well, including holding down the command button on the smart keyboard. We'll show you sort of a cheat sheet of available keyboard shortcuts and things like that, which is kind of a nice touch. Um, so there's some good new features in there. And as I say, the weight is definitely heavier than the iPad Air by quite a bit, but um, definitely still feels pretty manageable in the hands. And um, so, yeah, I think that's a, pr a pretty decent sort of uh, new option for people. Um, so any, anything else to say on the iPad Air? Oh, I was just curious if you had a chance to listen to the speakers. They made a really big deal out of that. And in fact, they seemed, the speakers seemed yeah. to take up a lot of physical space inside the device based on the right. graphic that Phil Schiller showed. I'm curious if you noticed a difference with those. Yeah, definitely louder. I mean, it was in the demo area, which is a very noisy place because there's lots of people talking and, and that kind of thing. But um, I played uh, one of the movies they had on the iPad um, was uh, the Fast and Furious number seven. Um, and so I kind of played that uh, briefly and, um, you know, turned up the volume as high as it would go. It was really pretty loud, even in that setting. Um, and it has these four speakers on the corners that automatically reorient the stereo and the bass and treble based on whether you're holding a landscape or portrait mode, which is quite nifty. It's kind of hard to gauge that in that noisy environment, but um, you know, clearly louder than the iPad Air has been. And the iPad Air has already pretty decent volume on it. So um, this will be interesting as a sort of device for working out and stuff like that. You know, you could put it on the treadmill at home while you're working out and you'd probably have plenty of volume to hear it over the noise of the treadmill and the fan and everything else that you might be doing. So right. it makes it interesting for those scenarios and, and you know, for potentially watching movies at home as well. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, so the third category was the Apple TV. Now this is one that I personally have been looking forward to the most. I've written a ton about this whole area over the last 18 months or so, uh, both the Apple TV device, but also the potential for an Apple TV service, which we obviously didn't see announced today and that we're expecting to see maybe early next year at this point. Um, I still think that's going to be what's really transformational, but this, this is a big step forward today with the SDK, the App Store and so on. Um, one of the things I found most interesting is this is going to be the shortest lead time that Apple's ever given developers for a completely new SDK. Um, so launch today, today is September 9th, um, and you know the device goes on sale by the end of October. So at most it's 51 days or something like that. So um, very sort of short window for developers. And I think that reflects partly their urgency in wanting to get the device out there before the holiday season. But I suspect it also reflects the fact that it is iOS based and therefore it's perhaps more similar to the iPad, which had the previous kind of shortest announced to launch cycle um, of any of these Apple products. Um, and so, you know, because of the commonality with iOS, I think that may make porting apps a little more simple uh, than it would have been otherwise. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I was pretty impressed with, with the demos and so on. I'll talk a bit more about the hands-on side of things in a minute. But Aaron, what were your kind of main thoughts about the Apple TV? Just two, uh, three big initial thoughts on this to go quickly. The first is Apple has clearly planted its flag, flag saying that that the Apple TV is now, all, or that TVs generally are now all about apps. That, that is the future of television. That's the screen in the living room is now an app delivery device. And whether that app is delivering content or, you know, like watchable content or games or whatever, like televisions are now app devices. Like that, that, I mean, in fact, if you look at the website that they put up for the new Apple TV, that's that's front and center is this idea of it being all about apps. And and I, uh, personally, I think that's exactly right. Another thing that kind of that it's funny because it, it hadn't even occurred to me that this would turn out to be the case, but it makes sense. The touch screen on the remote is not a screen. It's just a trackpad. 
And in fact, when we were talking in our, when we were talking in our podcast last week, we talked about one of the problems that we you had of of two screens, right? And so you had this screen in your hands and then the screen on the television, and how it ended up being a bother to players to have to bounce back and forth between them. Um, the you know it's just on the remote of the new Apple TV. It's just a it's just a trackpad. I think that is intuitively far superior. I think it's going to be really easy for people to use. Um, I do think a bunch of game developers are going to struggle adapting to that because a lot of apps are about touching what you see, you know, like poking out like sprites on the screen, and that's not going to be an available resource, and they're going to have to come up with other ways of figuring out the you know, giving people precise tapping for what they want to accomplish. But if, if, but if the screen is just about swiping, like with Crossy Road, it's a no-brainer and I'm sure a piece of cake. And, and I won't be surprised if you see a lot of universal apps along those lines. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it, and it was interesting. I mean, I didn't get to play with the remote. They were a little careful about letting people actually play with it themselves. But it's interesting. The remote has an accelerometer and gyroscope in it as well, which means that a lot of the control in games will be through actually tilting the remote around um, so the Star Wars game that they showed briefly on stage um, that one for example the Apple TV remote you you use the gyroscope to control your X-Wing or whatever it is that you're flying around there yeah. um, so it was interesting to see that in some of the hands-on areas afterwards but yeah the little trackpad at the top of the the Apple remote is it's a lot like the way that you use the remote app on the iPhone right now a smaller area uh, and it looks like the controls a bit more fine-grained I, I find that the Apple remote on the iPhone has been a bit tricky to use sometimes oh, sure. you often yeah. overshoot um, and so it looks like it's it's better at least as far as what I can tell from the hands-on area um, one of the things I found most interesting in addition to what you mentioned about Tim Cook's comment about the future of TV being apps is kind of the the five bullet points that Tim Cook puts up on screen about their approach to the Apple TV. It really feels like this is like the Apple playbook right now. It's powerful hardware, modern OS, new user experience, developer tools, and an app store. And that's totally their playbook for the iPhone. It's their playbook for the iPad. Right. It's their, arguably the playbook for the Apple Watch. It's like this is the way that they're approaching every category now. Um, and you know, the Mac included, actually, for that matter. Um, and so you know, now applying that finally to the Apple TV. And so you know, you're really getting that, that playbook play out here now for the Apple TV, too. Um, the games look really good already. Um, you know, I think it'll be a while before we get a really large number of games because it will take some time to port them across. But what there is looks good. Uh, we talked about the controllers last week when we were kind of anticipating all of this. And the iPhone will be a controller. The Apple TV remote will be a controller. And MFI, so the Made for iPhone program controllers, will also work with the Apple TV. So you're going to have quite a range of options, including some no-look devices. That were one of the points that I think you made last week, Aaron. You know, some stuff where you'll have physical buttons that you can push. Um, but the Apple remote itself with the gyroscope, with the, the trackpad, with the, you know, the, the play-pause button, for example, is one of the action buttons in that um, Star Wars game as well for shooting, I think. Um, so all these buttons will come into play on the Apple TV remote too. So out of the box, it will work great, but then you'll have some interesting options for adding functionality through third-party controllers or doing social gaming through multiple iPhones as input controllers and things like that as well. So I think that's going to be really interesting to watch that develop. Um, I also thought it was interesting that they had a fitness app in, in one of the demos. That was one of the categories I talked about in a piece that I wrote for Tech Pinions a, a week or so ago um, was fitness because that's already a big category on the Roku boxes and it's a big category in the iPhone app store. And you could see that being really big. Um, but it was also interesting to see a whole range of, you know, somewhat surprising apps, frankly. I think Zillow was one. Uh, Airbnb was another one. Uh, the Guilt app that was demoed on stage was another. You know, these are not in the kind of video or gaming categories. These are other 
uh, categories of apps. And it's just a useful reminder that you just could never have predicted back in 2008 what the App Store would eventually mean and things like Uber and various other things that would eventually grow out of that platform. And I think it's going to be the same thing with Apple Watch. It's going to be the same thing with Apple TV where there's going to be this huge kind of... Uh, uh, round of innovation from developers, you know, creating completely new experiences. A lot of it will come from existing developers, but when it gets really interesting is when you'll get completely new experiences created for the Apple TV as well. And I'm kind of looking forward to that on a personal level, apart from anything else. Yeah, I think, in fact, one of the things that you're going to see that will distinguish, because it is going to be a gold rush, essentially, right now on the Apple TV. And that's really exciting, especially because the entry price is so inexpensive. Um, but I think another thing that you're going to see that will differentiate is I think you're going to see a bunch of Apple TV apps that are that are uh, facilitated with additional hardware. I mean, the Apple TV essentially supports Bluetooth 4.0, and and the hardware is becoming easier and easier for new companies to develop and to produce. And with those two trends, you know, with this new Apple TV and hardware being easier for new companies to make, I think you're going to see a bunch of in living room hardware tie-ins to the Apple TV and it's going to go from the obvious stuff like you know I, I expect like a rock band or guitar hero controller to work with the Apple TV you know all the way like a guitar or all the way to you know who knows what else people are going to come up with like a yoga like a smart yoga mat for example that that uh, that talks to the Apple TV as you do a yoga workout I mean it can be all kinds of things and so uh, I, I think there's a lot of potential there that's really quite huge actually yeah definitely absolutely yeah no so i, I think that's going to be a really interesting new category uh, for apple i think great opportunity for developers as well um and yeah i'm really curious to see what comes out of it and and you know end of october is not that far away either so we'll get to see all of this stuff coming out pretty soon and and uh, and get to try it and i'm looking forward to getting some some in-depth kind of hands-on time when that happens it's, it's also worth noting that this is going to be the cheapest entry point for people to get into I, apple's app world i mean there's no less expensive mm. device out there to start downloading right. apps from an app store than this Apple TV will be. Obviously, it presumes mm -hmm. you have a television that, that you can connect to the Apple TV, but that's kind of right. the point is everybody has one already, or most people do. And so for 150 right. bucks, you have the entire Apple TV app store at your fingertips. That's, that's pretty huge, and that's a, a first for Apple for it to be so cheap. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, actually, even, you know, at an increased price point. One other thing that's worth noting is, you know, we had a brief discussion last week about storage on the Apple TV. Um, you know, it looked like it might be 8 and 16 gigs, which seemed a bit limiting. We kind of talked about that with some bigger games. You'd quickly eat up that storage. In reality, it was 32 and 64, so that the entry-level Apple TV now has more storage than the entry-level iPhone, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, in a device that's primarily about streaming, um, there's actually more storage there. And I think that's a really reflection of the fact that they want this thing to last for a while, too. It may not yeah. necessarily get an annual upgrade, which is another thing we should probably drill into in more detail next week. Right. Um, so the last big product, product category that Apple talked about today, obviously, was the new iPhones, the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus. Um, which will be really fun to practice saying over the next little while. <laughs> They're a bit of a <laughs> mouthful. Um, interesting sort of uh, uh, tongue twister possibilities that come out of that. Um, uh, but, you know, nothing too unexpected there. I guess one, one thing that was not known ahead of time was what they would call force touch. There was an indication that they might abandon that terminology, um, which I think is a good thing, to be honest. It's always sounded a bit odd to me. Um, and it was interesting that there was kind of hard press, I think, was actually used as a kind of shorthand on stage demos uh, for the Apple Watch launch. It's now called 3D Touch. I'm not convinced about that name, but I think it perhaps 
better connotes this idea that there's this kind of additional layer of interactivity around stuff. Um, but in the in the hands-on area, I had a chance to play with the 3D Touch, and it really is very good. And if, if you used an Apple Watch, it's familiar, um, but uh, it seems to apply to almost everything in the iPhone. Whereas the Apple Watch is kind of hit or miss whether it works in a given context or not. But you know, long, kind of doing this hard touch on uh, app icons brings up a little context-sensitive menu where you can you know, dive immediately into things like do long press on the or hard press on the maps. Uh, app icon for example and it gives you the option to drop a pin at your current location uh, or to quickly navigate home without ever having to you know open the app and, and search around for those options and so great sort of much quicker interactions are possible there um, they've already worked with people like Facebook and Instagram to pre-integrate this with them as sort of launch partners and so you know in the Facebook app you have quick things that you could do there and Instagram quick things you could do there and in the context of actual apps so once you go into an app there's this kind of quick look feature that they call peak where you can quickly look at um, you know, a text message without leaving the stream of messages. Um, you can quickly look at a photo or a video within Instagram, for example. Um, all kinds of interesting options there. And I think that's going to be really big, and it's going to be a great differentiator against other phones as well. And you know, for the people who really do wonder about upgrading every year, this is now a pretty significant upgrade over last year's phones, perhaps bigger than a lot of the other S hardware releases have been in terms of kind of year-on-year -year change um, but you know most people are obviously upgrading on a two-year cycle and there you know from a 5s or a 5c even this is obviously going to be a massive upgrade at this point lots of new functionality not least you know things like apple pay and larger screens from last year but also um, 3d touch and a better camera and all kinds of other stuff this year too yeah i think it's actually you know i, I think the upgrade on this is going to be really really big i'm going to be a part of that i'm still on a 5s because i do the every two-year thing right in fact what really drove home to me that this is going to be a big upgrade cycle is during the keynote they the camera was panning across the crowd and it showed a woman taking a picture with her 5c <laughs> and it's like well there's right. the proof right like that's there's still a lot of people out there that have not yet upgraded and with android switching growing there's a lot to be optimistic about as far as iPhone growth is concerned. Um, I'm really excited. Sure, yeah. I'm really excited about 3D Touch. You know, with all the rumors and reporting on it as it was coming, I, I still had a hard time imagining how it'd be really useful. And I think Apple showed some very innovative approaches to making it useful. For example, the um, you know the 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 live photo thing was amazing. Like that was a really cool, creative. Uh, product to launch i mean it really is a product or at least it's part of their product that makes it so great and i'm i'm excited about that um but i think peak and pop is also really powerful it, it, you know these little tiny interactions go a really long way in the way you use your devices and th these seem to be very thoughtful applications it doesn't feel like sometimes apple and other companies introduce features for the sake of the feature and this really feels like it's for the sake of the user which is exciting yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that's true. And yeah, the, the live picture thing, I mean, the first thing I thought of was Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it kind of helps. That we've been re reading, reading those books in our family recently and watching the movies. But, um, you know, this idea that this picture has kind of come to life and, and it does it by taking a few shots before and after you actually hit the shutter and combining them together. Um, but it, it's really a fun thing to see. And, uh, you know, it's hard, always hard to tell when you're looking at these canned photographs and how the experience is going to compare to actually taking one in real life and whether yours will be as good. But right. certainly, you know, 
as a concept, it seems really quite interesting. And it's a concept that's been around for a while as something called Cinemagraph, and it's been on various Nokia phones over the years already. Um, But, you know, when Apple does something, it's always done a little differently. And, uh, you know, with Nokia, you kind of essentially had to take a video that you'd then turn into like a GIF or whatever. So from that perspective, it's a bit uh, bit differently implemented. And I think I I like the, the way that you interact with it through 3D Touch as well. So I think that will be really interesting. Um, you know, the camera in general, much improved, you know, 12 megapixels, quite a big bump for an S release um, without sacrificing kind of the image depth and quality and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, that, the camera looks really good. I'm looking forward to trying that out too. I always take tons of pictures on my phone. Um, so anytime that improves, you know, that's that's a big deal and it'll be fun to, to play with that when the time comes. Um, any other thoughts on the iPhone? Just the, the 4K video shooting, I think, just as I mentioned, it's curious that Apple has a product that can shoot 4K but not but no products except for the iMac that can actually display 4K video. That said, um, you know, this isn't the first time this has happened. There were, I don't remember which generation of iPhone it was that was able to shoot 1080p, but it didn't have a 1080p screen. And, uh, in fact, that's still true for most iPhones. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't think... Uh, you know, I think it's just a future-proofing thing. I think it was an easy feature to add that was baked in already to the hardware that they were building, and so 4K was an easy thing to do. Um, I, in a couple of years, I think most people, I, I think 4K displays in the living room, for example, will be more common. By then, the Apple TV will play 4K. And, you know, what you're recording are these moments that you want to keep forever, and so the earlier we can record in higher quality, the better. Right, right. It's sort of a future-proofing of a kind, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so we've kind of covered the major announcements. Um, we'll, as we said at the beginning of the show, we'll kind of do a deeper dive next week on some of this. Um, you know, a lot to take in, you know, perhaps fewer surprises than there have been some past years because a lot of it was leaked ahead of time, but still there's some interesting details that hadn't come out and I think some important ones, including the details of how 3D Touch is going to be implemented. But uh, we'll wrap up there for today. Um, apologies again if there's background noise. I know I've heard a couple of horns and sirens things here in the background in San Francisco while we're recording, but uh, hopefully enjoy the episode anyway. And we'll be with you with a sort of more standard length, less background noise, usual features. Uh, episode next week and we look forward to to your feedback and look forward to joining you again next week thanks